This podcast is proudly brought to you by Cayuga Broadheads. As you know too well, the boys at Cayuga have tried, tested and proven uh, the quality of heads that they have. I highly suggest that if you're not already, you should be checking out your gear and the season is just around the corner. So, get onto the website, cayugabroadheads.com.au, put your order in whether it's 125s, 150s, or 175s in the pilot cuts, or go the old school, why not? But they're also proven. Jump on there, use the code HCDU10, get 10% off your order, and change the outcome of your next hunt. Get on it, don't wait. I hope you're on the computer right now. Well, man, before we go any further, welcome to the podcast, buddy. Thanks, bud. Been uh, that's all right, man. It's been an interesting night. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> so we just to lay the platform. We've both got kids. Kev's outdone me. Uh, you, you got a thousand. What do you got? Five at home. Yeah, five might as well be a thousand. <laughs> I got three, and uh, so we're we've been battling back and forth with text messages, just waiting for the kids to go to bed, and then Kev's Skype decided to shit itself. So, but we're back on. We're on deck. Yeah, you got to love technology. So welcome, mate. We, Thanks, uh, mate. Yeah, a couple of weeks of organisation, but we've just been sitting here chatting and getting to know each other a bit. And um, we know we know similar people, but we've never met. So, mate, oh, well, uh, we need to change that, mate. We do, mate. We do. We're going to have to get a camp. We were trying to do this one in person because uh, Kev's the uh, Red Deer Master. So um, I'm going to give you that tag anyway, whether you like it or not. But yeah. Um, we, uh, we tried to do this in person, but we realised that by the time we did that, the rut would probably be here and over. So <laughs> we we decided to uh, try one over over Skype. So we'll uh, we'll see how this one goes anyway, mate. But tell us a bit about yourself, mate. Uh, we're in the lovely part of Australia you live, and a uh, bit of a background story, mate. Go for it. It's all yours. Well, thanks, bud, and uh, thanks again for the invite. Um, yeah, look, just country boy through and through. Grew up in uh, the heart of Red Deer country, up in the South Burnett, um, and uh, from the age of 15, I, um, I grew up on a Red Deer farm, and um, that was up around the Yarram and Menango area, yeah. and um, yeah, my I was fortunate enough that my bedroom window backed onto, uh, onto the deer pen, so I used to listen to them talking to each other all night long. It's half so, handy. Yeah, half handy. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I sort of didn't even pick up a a weapon to or even think about hunting until I was fifteen. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it all happened on on that property, and um, I suppose really, Craig, I was born into it. Um, my grandfather uh, was the original red deer guide in Queensland, uh, Charlie Spann. Yeah. Yeah, he's um, that was my mum's dad. He was a farmer out in uh, up in the upper reaches of the Brisbane Valley at um, at Linville. Um, and there's actually where I hunt now. Um, I actually have to drive over a crossing, a causeway that crosses the Brisbane River up there. It's called the Charlie Span Crossing. And yeah. where Mum grew up and where Charlie had his farm, he had a loosen farm up there. Um, you can still see the remnants of the of the family home and and um, everything on the side of the road. So yeah, That's uh, awesome. Yeah, it is pretty cool. And um, I didn't know much about my granddad. Um, 
I know that he had one arm. He got cut off in a in a chaff cutter, cutting up loosen for chaff. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was synonymous with red deer hunting in Queensland. And, um, yeah, I, I really didn't know that much about him until I read a book called um, Old Time Deer Stalkers. And there's a, yes, and there's, I think, Phil Green, I might be wrong on that name, the author, um, but there's a full chapter in there about about um, my heritage, my grandfather, and uh, there's a photo of him in there with a, I think it's a dirty great six, seven. <laughs> um, he's holding on to it with my uncle Cliff, my yep. mum's brother, and he's just a young lad. But, um, yeah, he's... He was is still well known in that district. Um, the people that own the property that I hunt on, uh, she actually went to school with my mum. So it's uh, it's it's in the blood. Yeah, definitely. Uh, um, yeah, and um, yeah, it's you know I've been I've been playing with these critters since since I was fifteen. Um, you know, I, I, although I'm city bound now in Brisbane. Um, and have worked all over Australia, but um, you know, being in Brisbane, it's it's a couple of hours drive for me to get to to my hunting ground, uh, which is nothing to me. It's like a cup of coffee to drive that far when I know I'm going hunting. Cup of coffee but, and a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, so yeah, it's look being being in the city, it's um, it's a means to an end. Yeah. We've all got to work, we've all got to earn, um, but where my heart is and, and uh, where I like being with my boys and my wife is, is out in the paddock and um, playing around with the Reds and um, yeah, I've just been very fortunate that I've um, been able to do it for the last 27 years um, and I've learned a lot along the way, so um, I have a, a very different style of hunting to a lot of blokes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've only just had an epiphany in the last six months that I need to start passing on some of what I've learnt. And <laughs> by no means, I'm not a I'm not a master. I appreciate you saying that, but I still learn every time I'm out there, mate. Um, yes, definitely, that's yeah. what makes you, that's what makes you a master. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, my company name, actually, the business I work for, they call me the Whisperer because it's a company that, like, the owner of the business, he's a mad hunter. And probably, you know, six people under him before you get to me, they're all keen hunters. And, uh, <laughs> so um, Nothing safe. No, nothing. Nothing. One of one of the friends of the owner, his name's actually, his nickname's the Bone Collector. Oh, jeez. Oh, he's, he's the only rifle shooter amongst us. So, he, yeah, he's, he's pretty ruthless. But um, he doesn't come with me too often because I can't stop him killing anything. But... <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm I'm very fortunate and humbled to uh, work for a business that that live and breathe uh, the hunting uh, side of life, and uh, they afford me a lot of opportunities that I wouldn't normally have, I suppose. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, that's it, mate. I've got my five boys, uh, Brady Bunch on steroids, like I was telling you before. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and my wife is also a keen a keen hunter. Um, but she's more rifle. She's got a bow, but um, yeah, she she loves the rifle. She likes blowing shit up. <laughs> um, so I let her run a muck on the uh, on the coals. Yep. Um, but 
yeah, it's we have a good life, mate. I mean, we'd prefer to be out in the, out in the sticks because we're, we're country people at heart, but we need to be here to work. So, uh, yeah. So I want to just uh, just want to sort of take a backward step before we sort of jump into this, you know, red deer hunting in full and everything else that you do. But um, you know, what sort of era were we talking about with your with your grandfather? Uh, what sort of the years, and this is going to lead into a few more questions. Um, what sort of years were we talking about that you know he was sort of guiding and that kind of stuff? Do you know? Oh, uh, look, it would have been, oh, would have been, I don't know, sixty years ago, mate. Okay, yep. So we're long, talking nine. Long and, back. Yeah, long yeah. time back. So what, um, you know, and and let me know if you're not sure of it, but what sort of the history, you know, Brisbane Valley. Um, you know all those kind of areas. You know that's, you know I know we've had we've had Jake on Jake Kasparovsky's. You know he gives us an insight on it as well. I spoke very well of of the herd up there. But what's sort of your take on the on the sort of the Brisbane Valley herd and, and the history behind it and and sort of you know where it sort of sits today. You know it's sort of it gets a lot of talk about it. it's not as good as it used to be and all those kind of things. But what's your sort of take on it now? Well, look. Um... Been, been in the in the scene for the last nearly thirty years. I uh, I've seen a lot of changes in the herd um, at the moment, and that's why I primarily concentrate on um, on taking culls um, because there's been a there's been a like a definite downfall in the quality of antler growth up here, and a lot of people say, you know, oh no, you're not letting them letting them get old enough, and blah, 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 and all the rest of it. But, look, we do the wrong thing here in Queensland, and I say we because I was part of that way back when I was young and dumb and didn't have really any sort of idea. Sure. Uh, but, you know, these these young guys, and not even the young guys anymore, like people get out there and they see they see a, a stag and uh, they'll just shoot it. Mm-hmm. They just they just don't care. They, like it's got antlers on its head. I'm shooting it, and unfortunately, um, most of the time, as luck would have it, it's a genetically superior head than the next one that's coming over the hill. If you know what I mean. So, um, the the downfall is is not enough education of yeah. hunters up here. Uh, they don't know what they're looking at. Um, they just out there, um, and it's it's a terrible term. But we've got a lot of Queen Street warriors out there that call themselves hunters, and um, and look, it, each to their own. They want to get out there and, and have a crack. That's great. Yeah, for I, sure. I love I love people pulling on hunting, mate. I, I think there should be more of us. Um, but um, they need to to learn about the animal that they're hunting and. Um, learn where they came from and, and why they're there. Um, but, you know, 30 years ago, it was nothing for me to um, walk out to a paddock and, and see, you know, maybe a dozen stags, and, and nine of those stags were quality animals with tops. Mm-hmm. And these days, um, because I know a little bit more about what I'm doing, I can walk out into a paddock and see 30 stags, and one of those animals will be of quality genetics yeah for sure uh, and uh, and it'll have tops and then i just go about um you know making sure that that animal gets a chance to pass on his genetics yeah uh, because you know it's you you'll see a big double four 
Um, and a lot of blokes will say, oh, yeah, he'll be he'll be good in a couple of years' time. He just needs a few more years and, and the right season and all the rest of it. Um, don't kid yourself. These things are browsers. And even in the toughest season, even though they won't grow as good an antler as they would in a great season, but even in a tough season, they'll still, if they've got the genetics, they'll throw their... I'll throw I'll throw decent antlers and um, yeah. Well, I was just I was just about to throw that at, that question at you before um, I was just trying to jump in. But yeah, where do you stand with the the whole genetic thing versus you know age class? I mean, sure, uh, age class with genetics is is the ultimate that we all search for. But how important is one or the other? Do you think? Um. Well, look, age is always good. An animal should. To reach its to reach its peak of it being the best it can be, it's like a, it's like you and I, mate. Like we don't hit our straps till we're thirty, I reckon. But um, I'm already on the down right down the run. I'm thirty three. I'm already going down. Yeah. yeah, mate. I'm I'm just about at the bottom of the hill. <laughs> but um, you know, stags. Um, and I spoke about this with Jake the other day. Um, you know, a lot of people used to believe it was eight eight to ten was yep. their prime. Yeah, it's getting more and more proven that it's more like ten to twelve, mm. um, which is a, which is bloody old to this day and age with the hunting pressure they get. Yes, correct. Um, but I shoot a lot more stags in their prime that have only got four points on each side than what I see being shot with tops. Yep. Um, you know they're younger animals, and this is where the education comes in. Um, but, you know, genetics versus age, look, both hand in hand, like you said, that's the perfect storm. That's you, You'll get an outstanding trophy class animal mm-hmm. or record class animal for that matter. But, um, you know, without the genetics, they shouldn't get the age. That's the way I think. Yeah, I gotcha. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. it's, it's terrible. Um, and, I, and I don't think I'm playing God. I'm just trying to make sure that, uh, the up-and-coming generations have got decent animals to hunt when they hit their straps. And uh, at the moment, mate, like, to get anything more than four points aside in Queensland mm-hmm. is, a rare, is a rare find. Well, um, I think that's the feedback that, you know, for personally that I sort of receive, you know, and following it for, for the last sort of, I don't know, I don't even know where to guess, but six or seven years, I guess you could say, Um you know, that, that's kind of the feedback that we've gotten. It's like, oh, you won't find, you know, a 6'6 six, six or whatever it is, you know, you won't find that something with a big royal top or whatever it is. Um, I, I don't think it's completely true because I think there's they're still definitely there, um, but probably just not in the numbers that maybe you've seen uh, over the years. Yeah, that's right. They're, they're still there, mate. I, um, I took a guy out last year who's actually my CEO and um, and uh, it was his first red deer hunt in Australia and um, I knew where this critter was and I'd been watching him grow and um, you know he's a very respectful hunter and, and, and loves what he does and yeah I, I took him out and he, he shot himself a uh, royal 12 point stag first time he ever walked in the paddock yeah. but you know, I knew that animal was there. I knew he'd been there for the last three, four years, every year, um, running in the same spot, uh, doing his thing. And um, and I know of several other stags as well. But, mm-hmm. 
you know, um, without looking after them, they don't get to reach that. And I, you're right, the animals are still there. And, and, and don't get me wrong, Craig, I think um, people like Clark McGee and, and a few others have done a great job in the Queensland bush by um, helping the genetics along. Yeah, management. And um, our heads are, are getting better up here now. And there's a few pockets in Queensland where, look, they're outstanding. They'll, they'll match anywhere else. Yep. Um, you just look at what Jake's put on the ground. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, I, there's another block. Uh, there's another area uh, not far from the coast, which is only two hours' drive from me again, and the heads out of that area are outstanding for yep. Queensland. So they are there. Um, it's just these areas that are synonymous with um, red deer, like the upper Brisbane Valley, that get hammered by um, by poachers and inexperienced guys that are, are learning their way. But unfortunately, the, the deer cop the brunt of their yeah. learning. Yeah, for sure. That's that's the biggest thing. Um, yeah. You know, I, I could probably throw in from from a New South Wales point of view is probably been along the lines of, you know, the drought that we've had probably, let's just say, in the last two to three years. I mean, we haven't had a decent season in years, to be honest with you. But, yeah. you know, you've got the farmer pressure and, you know, probably probably a little bit more on the fallow side of things, but the reds cop it as well. You know, they are competing with the farmers and, and there's no there's no real protection for them. So the first thing, the same thing again, the brunt of it is that, you know, unfortunately your herds are copying it. Um, you know, we look at it as if like, oh, you know, there goes our poor red deer. So farmers look at it as just competing with the cattle and or whatever stock they've got. So, you know, yeah, I think the the New South Wales herd's probably going to suffer big time. You know, we're just lucky that there is a pretty good bloodline in a lot of that upper hunter sort of region, but, you know, and down south, I've got to be honest. But, you know, the bloodline's there that hopefully, you know, a couple of slips through the cracks and, you know, it'll they'll carry on. But... I don't think they're that far behind sort of the Brisbane Valley and those kind of areas in the far as far as, you know, seeing the herds go up and down as far as quality goes. Yeah, and, and you're right. Um, it's a damn shame that the drought has brought on the uh, the onslaught of, mm. look, quite honestly, the most spectacular deer that I've ever seen on the hoof, and I am very privileged and humbled to have two of those monsters on my wall. Um one at one at three hundred and fourteen, and the other one at two ninety four. Um, just outstanding animals down there, and yep. um, this drought and what the farmers have to do because of their living, um, it, it's terrible for the deer and, and for us hunters. Um, but look, you you can't begrudge a um, a landowner for doing no. what they have to do to earn a living. Um, I wish it was different, but it's not. This yeah. Isn't this is the way Mother Nature is. But, um, yeah, the, the, on the good side of thing, everything that I've been taught is that uh, every five years you should have a cull. Yeah. Uh, you should leave your stags alone and, and, and absolutely cull the females in the herd. Mm. So maybe in we may see like a, a downfall in numbers um, yeah. from the culling, like the chopper shooting and all the rest of it that's going on down there it's at the moment. It's not going to hurt, in my opinion, that for quality, that quality. cull is not going to hurt. That's right. You're going to have less animals, but the animals that are there are going to be fuck off phenomenal. Yeah. So, and we're seeing them these these uh, these heads out of 
you know, that upper Hyundai area, that um, the Watkins family. Yep. Sweet baby Jesus. Like, I didn't even know dealer. <laughs> Jesus. Yep. And it was funny, you know, I shot my, my big fella last year and I took him to Daryl Bulger's um, to get scored. And I don't shoot for scores. Don't get me wrong. It's just interesting um, to see what they actually score. And uh, Zoe just happened to drop her head in at the same time that uh, mine was there. And when I went to pick mine up, hers was sitting beside mine. And I just went, holy shit. <laughs> holy shit. That thing makes mine look, look like a puppy. <laughs> and they, they, are, they are different heads too, though. But you've got you to be... You know, some of these ones, I mean, I know the region that they've come out of, and they're a left-of-field sort of zone too. Um, yeah. They're yeah. not one with the greater numbers. They're, it's a, a low density, which you're going to learn big time when you start elk hunting. But these low-density yeah. areas are the ones that seem to produce those, those standouts because I think it's competition and all those kind of likes. They've got the bloodline, but I think yeah. they're, they're, they just don't have the competition in numbers. Generally, they probably animals that only get a few females and not running themselves ragged and things like that. So it's yeah. it's interesting yeah. that, you know, just little zones, what, yeah. what they pull. Yeah, well, I've been watching that, uh, what's that, that Born and Raised, Live in the Free. Yeah. On YouTube, that elk hunting, guys. Uh, just watch your mic there, this mate. Just, show. just bumping in now, that mic there. Got you back? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. haven't lost you. You good? Yeah, mate, yep, yeah, no, you're good. You're back. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, sorry, mate, you're saying born and raised? Yeah, 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 sorry. Yeah, born and raised, and, um, yeah, just watching where these guys are at in, their, in, the, in those uh, in those areas that they're in, and, uh, like, the, the areas that they don't to experience many elk, um, when they do when they do get a bull in their sights, it's a uh, it's an absolute cracker. Yeah. And when they're flat out with these things answering and coming into them, um, it's a 50-50 toss-up. It's either going to be a good six or it's, it's going to be a, a puppy. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting to watch. And, and no true word said than what you just said, mate. Yeah. More, more density gives you lower uh, quality. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'll throw that at you in a minute when uh, when we start talking tactics, but I just want to, uh, once we're going to jump back uh, to your sort of hunting history when, when uh, you know, things you said you, you started around 15. When did when did sort of things sort of, was that straight into the bar? Was that rifle? And I guess when did you really start sort of, you know, getting serious about it? Um, look, I, I started with a rifle, Craig. I, uh, I am relatively new to the bow scene. Yeah, sure. I hit, oh, geez, I, I would have been, what was I, 30. I was 30. And um, I was just absolutely just starting to get bored with yep. how easy it was. Yep. And um, I had a mate, a very he's been a very long-standing friend of mine, and he went to the bow a few years before I did. And, um, and... I used to give him shit, mate. I used to say, you know, that's like turning gay, going from a rifle hunter <laughs> to a bow hunter. Um, 
and he'd be stalking in on goats and stuff when we were down at Tenerfield and I'd be behind him with a stick in my hands and throwing sticks at him and stuff. <laughs> Just giving him a hell of a hard time. And um, I sort of, when I hit 30, 31, I think it might have been, I, I sort of thought, there's something in this. There's, there's something in it. He's got to get that close. And he's not having much luck. I'm going to give this a crack. And um, I actually bought his first bow off him. Yeah, right. And, and I swapped him, actually, a 243 for his bow. And, um, yeah, we went down to the Yatla. Yatla, is it? There's, a, there's an archery club there. Yeah, right. And, um, and he said, yeah, this is what you do, blah, 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 blah. And I, I had my first shot out of the bow. And... Um, yeah, I I did reasonably well, and he said, "Oh, that's bullshit. Do it again." <laughs> and um, I did the it again. Happens. Yeah, I did it again, and the string hit my forearm. Oh yeah, he copped it. And uh, I was not I was not impressed. <laughs> <laughs> I was not impressed. I told him what I was going to do with his boat, and um, he said, look, "Look, just let it calm down and have another crack." And I had another shot, and it hit my wrist again. Oh. Yeah. So it nearly tore, the, nearly tore the skin off my forearm. Oh. And um, <laughs> he thought it was a great joke, but um, I nearly threw it away then. But I stuck with it, and I'm glad I did. Um, because it was the... Just go, just uh, just hold up, just hold up there, mate. I, Kev, I've just, I've just lost you there, mate. Yeah, right. So, um <laughs> Yeah, it was about a month after that. I said, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna have go and have a crack at a deer with the bow," and he sort of had it had a chuckle. <laughs> and, um, out we went. We're in this little sweet spot that I know of out here in the um, up in the South Burnett. and uh, yeah, I actually shot my first deer the first time out with the bow at five yards. You so, <laughs> but I tell you what, it was a long time after that before I got another one, mate. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I've been hooked ever since and hooked that badly that I sold all of my rifles. Uh, I've had no interest in owning a rifle ever since. Um, and I just thought that the, uh, the challenge that it presented me and um, the time I had to spend and what I had to learn about the animals was second to none. And um, I don't think I really was a hunter until I picked up a bow. And that's just me personally. Yeah, sure. Um, and I, look, rifles have their place. They're great for when you need meat. <laughs> and there's no other, no other option. Um, and they're, good, they're a good way to control numbers. That's, that's great. But um, where it is for me is up close and personal and knowing... Uh, knowing exactly what that animal or thinking you know what exactly what that animal is going to do and what you need to do to try and outsmart it. So, yeah, yeah. probably sure. 10, 10, 11 years, mate, I've been, um, I've been flinging sticks yep. and uh, yeah, I can't see myself ever going back to a rifle. Awesome. Well, yeah. before, I, before I get into tactics, because I know that's going to sort of take us down a few rabbit holes, but I want to... Uh, I kind of want to jump back straight back. Uh, 2012 seemed to be a pretty big year for you. Um, I think uh, by the looks of it, you're headed down, you come down south here. 
Um, you had a pretty good crew in hunting camp. How did you? Uh, how did you meet up with them boys? Um, the likes of Ian Summers has been a guest on the on the podcast before, but talk us through sort of you know how it progressed from you know starting there at the club and smacking your arm a few times to, to meeting some of those guys. Like how did that come about? And then uh, and then leading into sort of some of your you know maybe your, your big success in twenty twelve. Yeah, right. Um, look, I I had to move for work reasons and um, for all love and money, mate. I, d- I didn't really uh, I didn't really have much success from when I first picked up the bow and shot that first first deer until um, a lot of years after. I didn't I didn't give up on it. I um, I, I just kept at it and I knew that it would come. And um, I moved to Western Australia for work, and uh, yeah, I was I was busy over there, and um, I did what I had to do over there, and then yep. I got an invitation to to fix or help fix the meatworks up in um, in Scone in New South Wales. Okay. And um, yeah, I just um, I, I went about my biz over there, and I just happened to move there um, mid March. <laughs> I think that Sandy. was in, yeah, 2009 that was. Gotcha. And um, I had heard at work that there was deer uh, in a particular range not far from Scone. So I just, I got home and I just threw in some gear and grabbed the old uh, boy corn and I went for a drive and uh, I pulled up on this, on this uh, side of the road and I let out a, a God Almighty roar, and I got an answer straight away from about a hundred yards. So I let out a few hind calls, and this thing came running in, and uh, it was like twenty yards off me on the side of the road. I had cars whizzing past me at a hundred k's an hour, and this thing was right there. That's awesome. And I flicked on my uh, my head torch, and uh, yeah, he was just a phenomenal red stag. Yeah, just unbelievable, bigger than anything I've got on the wall. <laughs> I've just about fallen over backwards. And I jumped back into Prado and I scooted off and uh, and um, I was in the pub at Marundi and I was talking to Simon. I can't remember his surname. And he's well-known in the archery world, uh, big fella, copper. Um, that would be Simon Gallon. That's him, Mr. Gallon. That's him. And he was, oh, I had a, I had a bit of camo still on. And he said, where have you been? And I didn't know this guy. And I said, oh, I've just been for a hunt up, up the road here. And he's like, yeah, right, so whereabouts? And I said, oh, you know, just up the road. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I'm glad I didn't, I didn't go into any more detail. But um, he said, oh, yeah, what are you chasing? And I said, oh, I was just playing with the deer up there. And, and then uh, a guy called Robbo walked in. And he said, oh, you need to talk to this guy. So I got to know him, and, and Robbo said, you know, have you shot a pig with your bow? And I said, no, I haven't. And he said, well, I'll teach you how to hunt mountain boars, and you teach me how to hunt deer. Good deal. Fair deal to me. Um, and that's where it all started, and I got to meet Ian, Mr. Summers, or Buff, as we all like to call him. Uh, I got to meet Buff through um, through Robbo, yes, and um, and another guy called uh, Andrew as a party or Rooster, as we all know him. Um, 
and also Neville Westerveld or Frosty, we all know him as. <laughs> and that's they they they're the guys that you see in the photos. Yeah, sure. So um, you know, we had some good times down there and twenty twelve was a cracking year. Um uh, Neville got his first of species. Um, I got my my fourteen point. He's a six by eight, uh, bloody giant. He's a freaking hour. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm really happy with him. Um, and I never really thought I would shoot anything better than him um, until last year when I didn't even I didn't even um, set the hunt up for me. But the way it was, where I set set uh, rooster up uh, he didn't get an opportunity yet this monster that uh, that I was very fortunate and um, very happy to to shoot last year so um, I I have got no foresight whatsoever Craig that I am going to shoot anything better than what I have on the wall <laughs> um, but I am just happy to be out there and, and uh, showing guys or teaching guys what I have learnt and um, seeing them experience some success with the red deer. Awesome. Yeah. Mm. Well, mate, we can we could probably start jumping into it now, and uh, which is probably, I guess, there's a few guys that have sort of said to me that uh, you're going to talk to when it's when it comes to talking to, to red deer as well. And um, I know you, you know, we've um, we've all got our sort of different opinions of it and ideas. I I don't really at all because I. As much as I've hunted red deer and I've shot a couple of those kind of things, I've never really been into it as as much as you know someone like yourself or Jake. But talk us through a setup. Um, we could probably start sort of seasonal wise at the moment. But what's your plan, sort of going in? Let's start say first of March. Step us through a bit of a process. What you'll do? Even let's talk sort of twenty nineteen. Um, and I want to set this up in a way that you know someone's got a good block. Uh, that potentially might have a couple of reds on it, uh, yeah. no matter their location. Sort of step us through what sort of your process is going to be. Um, maybe even put it to a year, to a block that you don't know a lot about. Maybe not some, not maybe not one that you know everything about it already. But step yeah. us through something that uh, how would you go about entering a new block with uh, with potentially a few red deer? Right. Well. I can tell you exactly, mate, because I've scored a new block this year that I've never really uh, had the opportunity to hunt. Um, and it's a 10,500-acre block. Oh, and Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, so my plan there is to get up there within January. And, yeah, it's hot. It's Queensland. It's summer. Um, but all I want to do is see uh, what girls it's holding, what hinds yep. it's holding. Um, you never really get to see um, the stags on a on a good hunting block until it's the rut. Okay, I've got a question for you. Where the f- do they go? Where do they go? <laughs> right. You don't have to answer so, that. I've got no idea, but... <laughs> I, Look, it's it's very um, it's a theory. Oh, um, it's a theory that they return to where they are born to grow okay. their animals. Interesting. Okay, and they move away from where they're born to rut because yep. their mums and their sisters are still in that area. 
Ah, gotcha. Where they're born. See, so, I, pick, I picked that for fallow. Yep. But I didn't pick it for reds. Yeah. Well, it's I, I can tell you now that reds, 90% of the time, will rut in the same area every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as soon as that rut is done, you try and find them in that area. They are gone. They are gone. They might hang around for a couple of weeks with the boys. Sure, sure. And, but um, as soon as they... Uh, as soon as they know that there's no more girls coming into Estrus, they hit the hills. Yeah. They're gone. They find the quietest feed, um, water, um, and they just hang by themselves or maybe in a, in a small bachelor group. Um, and I do have blocks that hold bachelor mobs. Um, and you, you know that's where they hang because that's where you find all the cast antlers. Yeah, gotcha. That's where they grow their velvet. And um, and I am 100% sure that the that they return to maybe not exactly the same area to where they're born, but very close to it. Okay. And um, because hinds always find a very quiet area to, to form mm-hmm. um, to protect their young. Yep. So, yep. and which is happening right now. We... Yep. we like I am planning to hit the hills in the first week of January. Okay, well, sorry, so, I took you off, took you off path there, but I wanted to get your take on that because it's always been a mystery to me. So, but um, yeah. you, you've kind of brought it back to the to the horns anyway. So, yeah. So uh, you know, so we we you know you 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 go into the block, you're looking for the horns, uh, you're finding the horns. So, what's your sort of take from there? So, if you're finding the horns. Um, you sort of map out where they are because the boys are going to come. Yep. Like, it's just their natural instinct. They can smell that estrus a mile away. Uh, and they move, they cover a lot of country in, a, in like, overnight. They can just appear from nowhere. And um, I've actually had the privilege of sitting down in a gully and glassing a, um, a mountaintop that was silhouetted with the sun rising behind it and there was no less than 20 to 25 stags walking single file <laughs> uh, just roaring their heads off and hitting each other up the ass with their antlers yeah as they're walking into the country where the girls were yeah gotcha so uh it's just like a heap of young blokes heading out on the on the grog in, in town <laughs> Um, you know, it's it's on for young and old. Uh, um, but yeah, you you find where those girls are. You map out their the reds are animals. Are they're very habitual? Okay. Uh, that the girls are. I find they they sort of they stick to an area that they know and like, and they just do the rounds and and their browsers. Like I said earlier, their browsers and and they'll know what's what's good where, and they'll nibble the best stuff off of there, and by the time they do their two- or three-day circuit, the they come the they come back to it, and it's got fresh shoots on it. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that, just map your girls out and um, bide your time, and, and the boys will come, because the girls don't move to the boys. Okay. So yeah, breaking, that, that, breaking that down a little bit more again, if I know there's red deer on the block, but I'm not finding the girls... What am I? Where? Why aren't I seeing them? What's What's a common sign that you think that you would 
like what what you know if you're you're looking there and you're like there should be dirt there should be hines here what's yeah. a what's a piece of advice what's missing why wouldn't i be saying them um depends on the hunting pressure that's already there depends okay. on so that's one yeah that's one uh depends on uh predators as yeah. well um, wild dogs etc Wild dogs, they're, they're running rife in Queensland, wild dogs. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love slipping an arrow through a wild dog. Yeah, nothing. Love it. <laughs> no. Oh, besides feral cats. Um, uh, other than that, it would be the food content. Right. What's what's in the food for them? Yeah. What are you looking for when it comes to food? Um, I know, obviously, my man Joshua is talking about Samba, you know, different types of seasons. You know what food they're going to look for at different times of the year with a samba. Uh, what are the reds like? What are we looking for in end of January, early February? Like, are, are we looking for cold cube benches? Are we looking for you know tight dark gullies with with feet underneath? Like, what are you looking for? Yeah, you're looking you're looking for little hanging gullies and benches off the gullies um, that hold moisture mm-hmm. and hold green pick. Uh, anywhere, especially there's a grass up here called curly grass Um, and I haven't seen it in New South Wales but if you can find, well another name for it, summer grass if you can find find that mate, you just that's that's your go to spot that's their their red snakes that's their their chocolate mate Um, there's uh, also, a lot of, um, uh, what would you say, like legumey stuff up here that grows at this time of year that they really enjoy. And um, I don't even actually know the name of it, Craig. It's uh, it's a weird-looking stuff, and it grows like a vine along the ground. Okay. Um, and there's not a lot of it, but you do find patches of it, and they do love it. Does it look uh, like a clover leaf? Sort of, yeah. yeah it's yeah. probably a creeping, like an exalus or something like that. It's a weed, but they probably don't eat it. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and let's, let's face it, deer are like goats. Yeah. They'll, they'll have a crack at anything. Yes. Yeah, sure. um, growing up in the deer farm, these things used to, like, if you lost your hat in the paddock, you'd, you'd turn around and a deer would be chewing on it. <laughs> uh, it, it was crazy. Opportunist. Yes. Um, but, yeah, the Kaikuya, they love Kaikuya. Yeah. Um, and there's not that many places up here that have Kaikuya, but down south. Yeah, it's a different, isn't it? Oh, yeah. They, yeah. <laughs> they love that Kaikuya. And, and um, anywhere where they can get minerals too. Yeah. One thing you'll find with the deer up here is they're lacking in calcium, which also adds to them not growing as good an antler. That's about to say that, as, yeah. As what they do down south. Um, I've actually witnessed deer down around that uh, upper hunter area licking the ground uh-huh. to get the calcium out of it. Yeah. Um, and, and the only reason I know it's calcium is because in the meatworks where I was working, we had to replace the pipes because of the calcium buildup was that great yeah, in the right. water in the water feed that it actually blocked um, like two and a half inch steel pipe yeah okay yeah and um up here to, for these critters up here to get their calcium 
the deer eat their own antlers. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. No, like I have not found a cast antler up here that has not been chewed. Yep. Um, so, yeah, they just get it wherever they can. They lick rocks. They'll walk past a rock and they'll lick it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they eat the, um, the filament lichen off of rocks. Yep. They just, yeah, it's just crazy critters. Got to love them. Uh, they eat, actually eat lantana berry yep. at a certain stage. Now, if a cow eats lantana berry, that sucker's dead. Yeah, I was just about to say, they're, they're gorgeous. But, you know, a deer, they thrive off it. Yeah. And the funny thing is, is, you know, a deer doesn't have um, a, a bladder on its, on its liver. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't have it like a cow. Yeah. It doesn't have that, that gallbladder. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what's. I don't know how they do it. It's yeah. uh, it's quite amazing. But I have shot many, many, many deer, and when I've gutted them out, I always open up their paunch to see what they've been eating. Yeah, for sure. And like dozens of them are just full of fresh antenna shoot and antenna berry. So, so as you. As you're watching the as you're watching the hinds, um, you know, is there anything in particular that you're looking for, or you're just sort of keeping an eye on them, keeping a check, um, seeing if there's anyone adding adding to the adding to the group? Um, when do you start from that? When do you start expecting to see the boys start to turn up? You know, are they still in the velvet stage, or they they're well and truly rubbed out? Like, what's your sort of take on time frames? Right. So a big indicator to me for what's happening there is the girls start getting interested in each other. Okay. Um, depends on how much time you spend in the paddock too. Yeah, sure. I mean, so, obviously that's going to be a big part, but yeah. And even the spikers, the spikers never that like a spike. He's only, he's only got his velvet yep. um, at the start of a rut sort of thing. And he hardens up during the rut and, and rubs out during the rut. That's why you see those little fellas going crazy watching the older stags marking their territory, these guys mm-hmm. are just scratching their velvet off. But um, the boys in soft velvet, they'll start walking up behind their mum and, or, or their auntie or whatever it may be, and, and he's sticking his nose and lifting that lip and trying to uh, get, a, a a, a, get, a, get a sniff. And he's just learning, you know what I mean? He's an apprentice. Yeah. Um, and then mum will turn around and, and give him what for. It's um, these behaviours that lead up to the rut. And when I see a spiker doing that, I think, oh, yeah, we're, we're about a week or two out. Okay. All right. And, and what time of the month, like what, what sort of time of the year are you thinking that that's going to be? Like what, if I said, right, I put, a, put 100 bucks on, on what week you'd say that, that like pre-two weeks would be, so to speak? Um, look, Unfortunately for the red deer, um, they go by the solstice okay. and the moon. Okay, so length of day and and the moon phase. So, which is also the time that they work out Easter. So, the poor buggers rut pretty much on Easter every year. Okay, that's 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 the downfall of these poor critters. Um, Copping the long weekend. Yes, that's it. <laughs> so, that's obviously, this year day. being mid-April. Yeah, that'll when? be late. It's going to be a late rut. Yeah, look, mid-April, especially in New South Wales, like, yeah, yeah, it's just about the end of it. I know yeah. last year, or this year, sorry, last rut, 
it was a little bit different. Like I didn't think anybody had a normal rut last last rut. It seemed like it was nearly non-existent. Yes, and I was still running coming into May. I heard. Yeah, well, I think there was nearly more going on late than what there was early. Yeah, and up here wasn't any different. Do you think as a play with, I'm sure, I think I know what your answer is going to be, but do you think with drought conditions and that things like that, you know, conditions, because I know this, it's a big part of the elk side of things only because I study that, but... You know, do you think with the condition of the horns coming in estrus and those kind of stuff, that plays a big part with the red deer as well? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I was out in the paddock, uh, be two, maybe six, two, six weeks, two, two months ago. Um, and I was out there to get a meter. And um, I've only walked 100 yards from camp and I saw 30 deer. Yeah. And uh, there was not one single animal that I would have shot to eat. That was that poor, yeah. So, what's your keeping that in mind, especially if you guys up north? But what's your sort of take on that? How do you expect? Okay, we don't get a decent rain, you know, decent bit of rain between now and and say March. What's what's your take? How will that affect things? Well, it's a good thing to say is that when I was out there, they had burnt off two weeks beforehand, Craig and. We had had substantial rain, and I was walking through six inches high of very lush grass. Okay, so, so it's coming. Yeah, conditions it's, coming. Yeah, we've got and we've had rain nonstop yep. for for weeks. Yeah, and sorry, um, guys, that's the reason for a little bit of uh, blinking in the in the phone conversation. Kev's got pretty bad weather up there, so we're working with it. But uh, yeah, sorry, mate, carry on. Yeah, and um, look, I know because those those hinds were bedded um, like half an hour after daybreak, that they were gorging themselves. Yeah, right. They were they were already had a full tummy. They'd been eating all night, so they were already bedded uh, first thing in the morning, and they weren't worried about anything. Um, they were just working up their condition because they know what's coming. Yeah. So um, nature's a wonderful thing. Wild animals find a way. If it's that bad that they can't build up their condition, um, guarantee you that only half the animals that would normally come into estrus or cycle yeah. would do that. It's like a it's like a kangaroo. Um, they won't even drop an egg if, yeah. if the conditions are bad. Yeah. So yeah, I sure. think that's I think that's important to um, relay across all mammals that are living in the wild that they won't. They won't drop an drop an egg if they their body condition can't handle growing um, a fetus. Yeah. So, yeah, that's nice. just my take on it. I'm no bloody scientist, mate. But, uh, that's uh, right. I'll, I'll take that. It's one step yeah. above me. That's yeah, good. But uh, <laughs> all right. So we've we've seen a bit of action. We've seen the girls get interest. We're uh, okay. We're at, we're out in the paddock. Uh, we've we've found the horns in the in, in our block. Um, we hear we hear a rural early morning, so we know there's there's a there's a stag um, in the vicinity of the area. Yep. And I'm gonna this is coming from a little bit of past past hunt this year. Um, so we know there's a stag in the area, but we don't hear him again. Yeah. Is he passing through, or is he just he doesn't need to be dominant because he's probably the only one there? Um. Oh, that's a tough one. Um, if he only roars one, 
if he only roars once, I would say that he is on the move and he's looking. Okay. Um, but the question is, what do you do when you hear that roar? Mm, I'm going to get to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, if he only roars once, if you only, like some guys, they find it very difficult to determine what's a roar and what's a bull bellowing and all that sort of yeah. stuff. But when you know what you're listening to, if you're only hearing roar once, he's either a very dominant stag, like you said, yep. and he's just sanding off first thing in the morning saying, hey, listen here, mother lickers, don't come around to my patch this or I'm going to kick your ass. Yep. Or he is on the move. Right. Uh, stags don't roar like a proper roar unless they're standing rather still. Okay. Okay. There's a fair bit of effort that goes into it for them. Yeah, they will. They will do. They'll moan and groan and carry on. Watch them do that. Yeah. Well, they'll and they'll do that <laughs> while they're running, but they won't. They won't roar and sound off um, properly if if they're running. They just can't do it. Yeah. God, I only gave you half the story then, so I'm going to give you the rest of it. So we. <laughs> I wanted to see your answer first. Um, so yeah, so we had, we had a stag and I think I might even discuss this with Jake. I can't quite remember, but we had a stag fire off late, very, very on dark, um, one afternoon, woke up the next morning, went to exactly where we thought he was going to be. Uh, we had one, he fired off once more in the, the next morning and he probably was another three K further up the valley. So he was moving, um, yeah. never, never heard him again. That was it. Um, so I, I feel that he probably dropped into the valley, was making his way through for that day and, and then back out. Yeah. Um, later that year, uh, well, I shouldn't say the year, we were probably four weeks later, three weeks later, we actually found a young stag in that same that gully. So I've got a feeling he might have been in tow or got kicked out or something like that. But um, yeah. it was just a young 4-4. But so, yeah, I, I still don't know what that did, what that stag was. But um yeah, it was just interesting. I want to get your take on that. You know, just as one fire off in the afternoon, that was it. There was no more to it. There was no response or anything. And yeah, um, yeah so I took the same thing that he was on the move in and out. But um, yeah, they will travel, Craig, and they will travel quickly. Yeah, and the hard thing was I hadn't seen any hinds. I'd, I'd seen sign fellow in there, but I hadn't seen any hinds. That was that was my biggest. Well, my That's first why I didn't thing, stop, mate. Yeah, that was straight away when you know when we heard him up there. I'm like, well, there's there's nothing for him to stay here. So um, well, I, th I actually think it was probably going to be a better winner block, something they'd probably come back in and fatten up on, uh, especially yeah. as they improve the improve the country. I think they'll yeah. probably pull back into their um, surrounding areas, and I've got them, but they're still very few and far between. There's no consistency in the numbers, so it's. Uh, I think they're continually just walking and looking for girls, I think, in, in this region. Yeah, um, so, yeah. So, all right, so we, we're going to jump back to, to your block. You're, you've gone in. Um, you've heard you've heard the roar, so we'll, we'll, we'll take it back to um, we've got consistent consistent roaring in the mornings and in the, in the, in the evenings. What, what's your sort of tactics leading into the first part of the rut? Uh, are you a lover? Are you a fighter? Like... You know, how do you sort of set it up? Um, <laughs> how do I say? Do I say that you found a shooter or you haven't yet? You take you take it from here. Um, you let's pick. say we're early, we're early in the rut and okay. you're out there in your first day. Yeah, you've got, you've got a heap of stags firing off. Let's go for it. Yeah, let's go with that. Yeah, 
um, and up in this country, there's it's not uncommon to walk up onto a hill and you'll hear 20 stags around you. Very different to down south where you might hear yep. one, two if you're lucky. We'll give we'll give that scenario next. Yep. So you've got 20 stags sounding off around you. Um, my What I do from there is I sound off. Yep. But I sound off once. Okay. And then I get the guys that want to play. They will roar back straight away. Okay, so they are, they, are they going to cut you off or are they delayed from it? They will try and cut me off. Yep. Yep. But I never roar as a dominant stag. Yep. I always make myself sound like I am just an apprentice. Yep. Um, and so you, you're, you're another one into the mix? Yep. I'm yep. another one into the mix and I want the guys that want to warn me away um, and try and cut me off and they do a big dominant big dominant roar yep. and, they and they'll only do that once and then they'll moan now if you're trophy hunting that's the guy you want he mm-hmm. doesn't roar a lot he just makes himself be known and then he just he just lets you keep he just keeps letting you know that he's still there yep. um, and he might only moan a couple of times he'll let yep. out one good roar and he'll only moan a couple of times and then he just shuts up yeah yep. yep. But that is the only roar I make. Okay. Okay. Um, I will move towards him. I only use a roar to locate stags. And then I move towards them. I get my wind right. I have a look at the lay of the land. I work out the time of the day that that is. I work out well, how long I've got before the sun is up high enough to change the thermals. Because yep. it's, all, it's all hilly country. You're not yeah, going to yeah. go and find a red not going to go and find a red in, in the flats um and um yeah i put a plan together and i don't if i have a fair idea where that stag is like i said i don't roar i just use hind calls mm-hmm. and fawn call and that's it and 90 percent of the time maybe even more than it 95 percent of the time um that stag comes to me okay i don't move i don't i don't move much he, he, you need to make, because he's only, look, he, he's only doing what he's doing for one reason. And that's because it's that time of year, he's Toey, and he wants to spread his seed to as many females as he can. Right. right? So if you get in within earshot of him and you let out a hind call, just about guaranteed he is going to go crazy, huh. right? And then you sit and you wait because he's going to be looking. Then you let out another hind call. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I'm not going to make this easy on you. I'm going to play the worst stag in the history, aren't you? You know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go for it. Right. So because I'm going to go back. I'm going to, I'm going to be that bastard that holds up. Holds up. Yep. Right. He's giving you, and I can. I'm going to talk from someone. I'm going to talk from someone else's experience uh, this year. He, he, uh, good man of mine. He um, got onto a big fella, but he he was. It's one of those real big old bastards that really just give you that moan. Don't even don't even roar. They just give you that moan. You catch the arse end of him pushing his horns back into the trees. Yeah. What are you going to do? 
He's not responding to your horn calls. He's not, he's not responding to a roar. But you've got a rough idea where he's gone. What what game plan can we play on that fella? Because we know we all sort of want to see that big fella. We all want to chase him. Uh, we know the younger fellas that get fired up and they're going to... Yeah, yeah. The younger, ones are, bit, younger ones are easy. They're going to play with us <laughs> a little bit. But what, you know, just in your experience, I don't, you know, I know you're not going to have, no one will ever know what they're exactly going to do. But in your experience, you know, you're going to walk into 2019 and go, right, I found this big boy, shut not mommy. What's your plan of attack? Yeah, it's morning. Right. So, and you, like, you're near him and he's pushing You've got him. an idea where he is. You've probably, you've probably spotted him from the opposite ridge. You've got an idea where he is. You know the gully he's gone into. Yeah. How are you going to play him out? It's thick. Yeah, you're probably not going to be able to glass in there. Um, yeah, how are you still going to play him? What, what's something you can do to maybe trigger him? I'll let you take it from here, but, you know, you, you play a few scenarios from this point. Right, so you know where he is. He's in the thick shit. He's dug in there like an Alabama tick. Yeah, and he's got hinds with him. And he's got hinds. Yep. And let's make it worse, he's got a hot hind. Oof. Yeah? Yeah. She's she's an estrus. Right. So you, if you think you're going to get him away from that girl, you've got luck. another thing coming. <laughs> it's, it, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Okay. Um, the best thing you can do just get your wind right. Yep. Move yourself into some sort of area where you believe that he is going to move out from. Gotcha. Or even even just get yourself close. Mm-hmm. Now, this is if you want to get him interested or to know that you're there. If you haven't got the time to wait all day on him. Okay. This is when you let out a roar because he is not going to be happy if you're in close and he's got a hot girl. Yeah. All right. Now, if he's a dominant stag, he's a big boy. He's not going to cop any shit. So, and it's going to be, it's going to happen one or two ways. He's either going to jump up Come and push his, push his girl away from you. Okay. Yeah. Or he's going to come straight at you. But when, when you roar him and you're in that close proximity, you cover the end of your whatever you're using to roar and you put it back over your shoulder so it sounds like you are very, very uh, submissive sort of thing, like you are in a completely young stag. Yeah, okay, because so, um, he doesn't want to hit his match, so to speak. Yeah, he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to be confronted with something that may kick his ass. Right, because otherwise he's probably going to push that hind away. That's exactly right. Yep. He's just going to jump up and and any other hind that he's got there with him. Yeah. If you if you hind call him at that stage, he's just going to he's just going to be happy to sit there and just moan and roar. He's got a hot one. He doesn't know that. Yeah, he's, yeah, that's right. Or he's just going to think, you know, you can come and join me. I'm all good. Yep. I don't I don't need to come to you. So, yeah, it, that's that's what I would do, but cool. that's only if I didn't have the time to wait him out. Yeah, so you're just going to, once again, you got to play the scenario. So I'll, I'm asking you questions here, so everyone's sorry. I, I had to put it on Kev to, to try and get, to get the answers out of him, but um, these scenarios don't always play like this, and it's it's generally, it is going to go one way. Like you've got time, um, and then you've got to battle of the wind. 
So yeah. obviously you don't get second chances with more or less any kind of game really, but Red Deer especially do not like the wind. Um, <laughs> and, you know, once they get a sniffy, you're, you're in trouble. But they're probably, yeah. you're probably going to find them in three neighbouring blocks um, <laughs> <laughs> and maybe a bit more. But, um, yeah, I was going to say patience is one if you've got the time. And then, yeah, I was interested, very interested to hear how you would play out that scenario. Um, obviously, we've got all the perfection of, you know, your high and call, he comes charging in, you, you smack him. That's, that's obviously a perfect one. Um, yeah. How do you go with uh, how long do you leave it? So you're calling, you don't really get a reaction, but you've got a gut feeling that something could be coming in silent. How long do you give one spot before one you sound off again with either a hind call or a or a, or a, or a roar? And I know you only generally roar once, so yeah, give me an example. But and then three move. Right. So if I hind call and I don't get a response, um, I've got a little trick up my sleeve called a fawn call. So a hind call is one sound that he he will listen to and he'll go, hmm, there's a girl over there. Yeah. And he may not move because he'll just go, oh, it's a girl. doesn't mean anything. Sure. You let out a fawn call to go with that hind call and uh, he thinks, well, there's a girl over there and she's got a fawn with her, so she's already been mated at least once. She so she be. may just be in estrus right now. Right, so it's more an inquisitive kind of, and let's go and have a look. Yes. Yeah. And the phone call, to me, in my arsenal, has been the most successful thing that I've ever used. Not something you use all the time, though. You, it's obviously something you keep in your back pocket. Yeah, if they're, if they're tough to budge. But yep. Yeah. And also, it's something I keep in my back pocket if, if the stag's on the next-door neighbour's block. Ah, gotcha. I bring him over the fence. Yeah, yeah. Hey, why not? That's what <laughs> so, the fence is for. Got to bring that, him over. That, that's it, mate. And um, there's, it, it's just, it's, it's the sequence of calls and the tones and the length of calls that I have learnt from growing up on the deer farm that have seen me in good stead and and have um, really been the difference between me being successful and not successful. Yeah. Okay, so to break that down a little bit more, and I know it's a little bit hard being over the mic, but what's your sequence of calls in a way of, do you have what, this is coming kind of a little bit of talk, but you know, do you have like a location call? Do you have like a, I'm, I'm interested call? Or like, do you break them down in any way? Or is there some way you can explain that to us? Yeah, I sort of do. Look, if I do a location call, it's just a, a straight-out hind call. It's a, it's just a, a like a little, like a, a, a red bleat. I don't know if you've ever heard a red hind talk. Yeah, I have. Book. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, quite, it's quite deep. Hmm. And it's just a once sound off. It's sort of like a... Yeah. And that's it. That's what I use, so... Yeah. That'll, that'll get a, a stag's interest any day of the week. Mm-hmm. Okay, but if you draw that out and you start sounding a little bit, I don't know, needy, sultry. Needy. Yeah, sultry. <laughs> and, um, That's sussy, look, man. That's... Yeah, it, you gotta, you, you've got to, 
you sound like an absolute idiot. Like I, I take these guys out hunting and they just look at me and they go, <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> but the next thing they know, there's a stag what? 20 yards from them yeah. roaring his head off. So give us an example. Give us an example. So do the first one. Do the location quite as a standard Holland call. No. Now roll it off into something that's a little bit sussy. No. No. Man. Yeah, so you roll it, you're kind of rolling it off on that that end, um, yeah. and and is sort of you obviously got your location one, which is sort of one off. Uh, is yeah. the is the sussy one it's like a little bit more like you know repetitive or like is that for a purpose? Yeah, yeah, it's it's repetitive because to me, what I used to listen to when the when the girls would hear the boys roar, that's yep. the sound that they would make to them. In the pen. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Righto. Null it. Drop, <laughs> drop it. What's the fawn? The fawn call. So right. you've heard the fawn call is very similar to a, um, a fallow doe. Call. Okay. Yeah. More of a bleat. Yeah. Whereas your your fallow deer is uh, more, more of um, a bit more high-pitched. Yeah. These your phone calls um, are the same, but sort of different. Sort of like a just okay. like that. Yeah. So there's no real tone to it. You're taking yep. the tone out. Yep. Yeah. And gotcha. um, and that sound on a on a crisp morning, for whatever reason, it travels. Yep. I don't know what it is, but it travels. Yep. And um, I don't like the stags, deer in general, actually. Um, their ears, you'll see them, they'll just pull them forward and they'll pinpoint your position yeah. as quick as anything when yeah. you're calling. Um, so you need to be well concealed. I tell you what, and and I am not I am not an ambassador for Tusk, but I have not had as much success calling deer as what I have since I've been wearing that gear. Mm-hmm. It is and mate, I had a fucking crow fly into me just about because I was that. If you got a crow, com- you got a crow coming in, you something's going right. <laughs> yeah, that's right, mate. I had I had my buff up and everything, and this crow. The only thing that I didn't have tusk on was my Bowtech cap. Yep. So <laughs> it was um, the bloke that was with me. He just looked at me just to say, "What the hell?" Yeah. But um, yeah. Look, that stuff just conceals you. You just melt into your surrounds, and um, the uh, the critters just can't see you. They yeah. just can't. Yeah. And um, I am quite comfortable now, since wearing that for the last two years. I am quite comfortable being out in the open and calling deer. Yeah, yeah. So um, you're looking yeah. for a, you're looking for a bit of a backdrop on you. Obviously, not skyline yourself or anything like that, but yeah. You sort yeah, of look, I, look at that sort of break up in behind you as well. Yeah, I never, ever, ever skyline myself. No never. one should, no one should, I, no one should be. <laughs> yeah, I look, even if I have to walk an extra couple hundred yards, I never yeah. skyline myself. So yeah, sure. it's just a beacon to say, hey, I'm here, guys, <laughs> again. But, um, yeah, it's you, you, you let that fawn call go with a mixture the right mixture of hind calls and I'll be very surprised if any stag 
um, doesn't come looking. And are you you you're chasing your reaction straight away to that hind call, aren't you? you? You're waiting for a roar back. Is that right? Um, yes and no. Okay. Um, if I get a call back straight away, you know he's uh, interested. I know he's interested. And if I hind call again and I don't hear anything for like ten or fifteen seconds, and then I hear another roar, I know he's coming. Yeah. Okay. Because he'll run a little way and then he'll stop and he'll listen and then you call again and he'll let out a roar and then he'll go quiet again. Yeah. And then he'll let out another roar and he's closer. You can hear just the, the sound, the tone, yeah, the, sure. the volume. Um, yeah. It, we've got it on video, these guys coming from over a kilometre away and we don't move. Yeah. They just run straight at us. So, just um, that's right. yeah, that's it, mate. Yeah, I'm smart. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, I do look, I, I don't know everything, not by a long shot. I've just had success with what I do, yeah. And, um, yeah, they uh, every stag's different, yeah. Almost definitely, yeah. look, yeah. I mean, you can only generalize a lot of this information, but um, a certain area. Uh, a ridiculously good starting point. Yeah, well, you know, there's a there's a lot of guys out there that would kill to know um, those tones and those sounds to use because oh, yeah, it, it makes it, it makes life easier, um, and it and it increases your experiences in the bush. Yeah. That's the yeah. main point of it. Yeah. Um, I like calling them in just for shits and giggles. That's fun. Oh, yeah. I'd just well, love that. I'd just love to have a block with numbers that I could do that on. It'd be fantastic. <laughs> well, mate, this this last rut, um, I had three stags within bow range in under five minutes. Yeah. And um, you know, I had I had some issues with my bow, um, and two of them were culls, and they both are still alive. Um, <laughs> Because I, they're lucky, I shot, they're lucky cows. <laughs> I, I shot over them, and um, I actually absolutely I was in the middle of just a playground, a plethora of um, stags that were in full rut, and there would have been 60, 70 hinds around me, um, and I was having a ball, but I got that cranky with missing these two these two stags, I just walked out and back to camp, <laughs> and um, I put my my bow away and I grabbed out my old bow that had numerous kills under its belt put our shot into the Reinhardt and uh, went yep that'll do went up up back up into the hills and um, yeah I was on the phone to the wife because where I hunt you don't get phone coverage unless you're on the highest hill Sure. and I'm on the phone to the wife and I'm calling this deer while I'm talking to her on the phone and um, I said hang on a second honey and I put the phone down in the grass, and um, I shot the stag that I called from 700 yards off. Yeah, I shot him at nine yards, and I hadn't moved, and oh. um, he was screaming his head off at me. I just said, "Just hang on a minute, babe," and I dropped my phone, and <laughs> and, and I nailed him. Um, and she just said, "Did you just shoot one?" I went, "Yeah, I've got to go. I've got to go and take care of this thing." So I've got some, impo- I've got some important business. Yeah, but um, it's just. I just do it for fun, really, and uh, yeah. that's the only that's the only critter I shot this year. Yeah, 
Um, so, so sorry, mate, to cut you off, but as we progress into the rut, we obviously discussed, you know, uh, that that early part and and sort of seeking that response. Does your tactics change throughout as the rut really sort of heats up and then starts like you know as it as it sort of peaks and then starts dropping off? Have you still got the same tactics where you were coming in and just giving that one roar, waiting for the response, see who interested? Does that just carry on throughout, hoping that you've probably already shot, shot what you're looking for, but say that you've been pickier through the year, you're just going through to look at each one, or, or how do you sort of work throughout the season? Um, look, I think you know the answer there is that during the early stages of the rut, it's a lot easier to call yeah, them. most definitely. Um, and um, your bigger, more dominant stags, um, once you're a couple of weeks in, they'll have, especially up here in the Brisbane Valley, they'll have their harem. Yeah. And you will not get those bad boys away from those girls. So it, it, it becomes very, very difficult to, um, to call them away. So that's where your stalking skills come in. To say that. So I think that's where a spot and stalk ambush kind of sort of scenario comes to. Would you agree? Yes, exactly right. And you you sort of pick, and this is where you're early on, uh, your groundwork that you do with um, finding your hinds on your block and watching what they do in certain areas. You will learn the elevation that they move along on certain hills. You. If you can, you put yourself in the position, you paint the picture, and you you think, well, the stag's there, there's his girls. As the sun rises, they're going to come around this side to get into the shade. So I'm going to put myself up there, and I know that he's going to be the last one along because the stag's always behind his girls. He's never in front. He's always the last one. Mm -hmm. So he's going to push his girls along there, and um, that's... That's about the most you can do. Um, sometimes when he's pushing his girls, when even doesn't matter how many girls he's got, if you can get close enough, let's say 60, 70 yards, mm -hmm. as he's pushing his girls, he pushes his girls past you, you let out a hind call, he's going to turn and run straight to you because he thinks he's forgotten. He's got one. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. He's going to run straight at you because yep. all he wants to do is round you up and keep you close in with his girls. But you've got to be in tight. You've got to be, you know, if you're any any further out than than a hundred yards, forget about it. Yeah, he's yeah. just uh, no one. You get yeah. left on the street. He's just going to ignore you. He'll he'll stop and look. Yeah, but he's just going to go with the the main group. Yeah. So all right, so let's let's jump to low density area. Um, so we've talked about a high density area when you've, yeah, let's be honest, you've sort of got a battle between stags and you're sort of adding another one to the mix. Let's go to, to the scenario where you, you may hear one or two sort of roars, big country. Um, you kind of know what I'm talking about. Um, yeah. How does your tactics sort of change? Do you just get that one to pipe off and then you're just going, right, I'm going for him and you're just trying to keep him? You know, you sort of go back to those tactics to try and keep him interested. Is, is that sort of the, the gameplay you've got? Yeah, look, in those areas where you've got low density, like we discussed earlier, you know, there's a very high probability that uh, a... He's uh, probably going to be a good one. He's going to be a good one, yeah. right? 
Well, you um, may not be as picky either. That's probably the other question, the other realistic thing to it too. You're not going to be sort of sifting through a dozen heads. You're, you're kind of going to probably, it's going to probably going to be opportunity a season kind of deal. Yeah. So, look, the, in that scenario that I had the, the absolute privilege to hunt in for maybe, you know, seven years, um, those deer were very, those stags were very easy to call because yeah. of the low, low numbers. Low density of highs too, I suppose you could say. Exactly right. So any noise that they heard that even sounded remotely like a girl that was in estrus yep. or wood, they just came. Yep. They yep. just uh, they just stopped what they're doing and they came. Yeah. Um, the big fella that I've got that I'm just waiting to get to the taxidermist at the moment, the, the monster, he was probably one of the hardest stags I had to call in, in that sort of scenario. Um, he had one hot hind. Yeah. One. And um, look, he, I, it took me all morning to find him just to get him to roar once. Yeah, gotcha. And um, I was nearly hoarse and nearly didn't have a voice because I was roaring that much. <laughs> and um, I ca- actually carry soothers in my pack. but um he uh he let go once and we we sort of had a fair idea where he was yeah and when we got there he was bedded under on the side of this hill now one hind and um i i put my hunting buddy where i thought this guy would come because all other scenarios that i've experienced in that area they just Drop everything and they come. Yeah. He didn't. He just turned and looked. Just turned and looked and laid his head back and roared again. Yeah. And no matter what noise I made, he wasn't interested. He just wanted to be there with that girl. Now, as luck would have it, a fellow buck walked around the same pad, (laughs) right in line with him. And uh, he didn't like that. He didn't like anything else being near that girl. Yeah. So uh, he pretty much picked that fellow buck up with his antlers and threw him about six foot in the air. Oh, still. Which was pretty cool to watch. Oh, that. Yeah. And um, when he did that, the girl jumped up and she moved um, parallel to us. And I actually said to, to Bruce, I said, look, when he hits the spur... I'm going to give him a call and um, hopefully he'll push that girl down here. And um, I did that. And she ran the opposite way. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I still don't know why he did, but he turned and came straight towards us. And um, and I think it's because of that low density, Craig, like you mentioned. Um, Right? I, I know that I've mated her and there's another one down here. She's gone. She's taken off. I'm yep. going to go down here to this one. Yeah. Yeah, he he moved down. And look, he was, and you might not believe this, he was pretty much downwind from us. Yeah. Well, just had enough little crosswind there to save must him, been, or you just, he wasn't, no, he surely wouldn't there, have been worried. But. There must have been, like when he propped, um, I, I looked at where Rooster was, and I thought, oh, 
God, he's not going to get a shot from there. He's in amongst the dogwood. Yep. I've come to full draw, and as he's walked out of from behind some trees, he's propped and he's put his nose in the air. Okay. And I already had, yeah, and I already had my thirty pin settled on him. Yep. And um. And I thought, well, we're not going to get another chance at a critter like this. Yeah, not if he wins you either. No, nah, and I, I let fly, and uh, yeah, it was it was on the money, and he, he ran seventy yards and pulled a few trees out on his trip and <laughs> and died. But um, look, in those low density areas, the hind call and fawn calls, uh, they seem to be a lot more productive than in the high density areas. So it sounds like a lot of the time, you know, with with what you're sort of doing. Um, you're using the raw to purely just locate the stag um, and then you're loving them from there. Um, yes. that, that seems to be your tactic quite, quite sort of strongly. Yeah, I've, I've proven it time and time again, Craig, that if I raw when I'm in close to a stag, seems to push him. Hit 90% of the time, he'll, he'll just take off. Um, if they're really stirred up and it's usually the young coffee ones, yep. they'll run in. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yep. um, I've tried um, raking antlers on trees, and I've tried rattling reds. I've tried just about everything. <laughs> I've even tried hoochie mama calls. Yep. Somebody said to me, "Oh, you should really get an elk hoochie mama call and try that." So I did. Westing overboard. <laughs> I started a stampede with that, and was in the opposite direction where I was. <laughs> it wasn't what you needed. No, it wasn't what I needed. <laughs> you, might, you might need that in a couple of years. You'd be right. <laughs> uh, I've got I've got the cow call down pat, mate. With you got the that done. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's the bugle. That's all right. Yeah. Just got to press on the read a little bit harder. That's all. Yeah, I'm learning. I'm learning. I'm driving my wife uh, quietly into. You've got to do it in the car, mate. You can't do it at home. Oh, car good. driving to work. Well, you, I don't, you don't need the tube. You just do it with the reed in your mouth. You don't need the tube. Well, I can't do that and listen to the podcast at the same time in the car, mate. Come on. That's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, mate, you, you definitely, you've, you know, you've, you've definitely got me sort of thinking about tactics. Um, I mean, we all know that, you know, access to red deer is, is becoming harder and harder, especially with, you know, some of the money that's getting dropped on, on these things in certain areas. So that... That is becoming, you know, difficult, but there's definitely some options out there, you know, obviously up north and New Zealand and all those areas that are coming into, coming into play. Yeah. Jeez, um, we, we haven't even talked fallow deer yet, but we'll stick to reds for now, but, you know, we might have to do another one. But um, what would sort of be your top three uh, knowledge bombs to anybody that's sort of even either, you know, well into their red deer, you know, hunting sort of experience or, or someone's just getting into it. What, what's three top things that you choose um, oh. for someone talking to in the pub? Right. Um, only raw to locate. That's yep. top, top of the pop. Cool. That's top a good one. Pop. I like that one. That's, that's interesting. It's a discussion I've had many a time. Yeah. Um, Ah, uh, geez. Learn, learn to phone call. <laughs> learn oh, to phone call. Yeah. Uh, and spend as much time studying 
the critter that you're hunting as you possibly can. And I don't mean Googling that bad boy. I mean getting out in the paddock and learning what they're about. And that, and then that fawn call will come and the hind call. And, um, yeah, I think knowing, knowing about, oh my God. The dog's going off. That's, that's a lasso app, so, mate. <laughs> I'd love to call that thing in the fucking bow range. Um, um, yeah, um, yeah, learning, learning about those critters, uh, I think, I think we owe it to them. Um, have, have some, have some respect. Um, if you're prepared to take its life, be prepared to spend the time to get to know what they're about. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and we, we spoke a little bit about this before we went live about, you know, learning from our mistakes and stuff like that. I mean, what, what's the biggest thing you've learned? Yeah. You, you tell me the biggest mistake you've made too, as if you wanted to, but you know, what, what's been the biggest sort of like light bulb moment in your red, like it can be with the rifle, the bow, it doesn't matter. Um, what's the being the biggest one that sat in your mind um, that you think someone could use? Um, being in too much of a hurry, mate. Mm. Patience. Um, yeah, I used to race between stags. I used to run between roars yeah. um, when I was a young, fit guy. Um, what are you talking about? Young. Yeah. You still are, aren't you? <laughs> Yeah, well, in, yeah, in in my spirit, I am. Um, Jesus, mate, I'm 42. I'm slowed down a bit. Um, but yeah, I think taking your time and um, hunting smart and not rushing anything is probably the most important thing that I could pass on to anybody, especially with bow hunting. Um, because where you were five minutes ago is maybe where a stag is going to walk. Um, just don't be in a rush. Take it all in. Um, I have really blown a lot of opportunities and really good opportunities from being in too much of a rush. Mm -hmm. And, um, in, in hindsight, I just wish I'd slowed the fuck down. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Well, once again, so we spoke about this before, and you know, probably one of the biggest hunts to this day, um, you know, is probably exactly that. As much hunting as I've done, you know, you still get to a point where something's kind of big. It's kind of going to be your peak of your so-called, you know, hunting experiences, and and you just rush that most crucial point. Like everything else has been has gone to perfection. And it's just that last little bit. And there was, you know, there was other, sometimes there's things that happen that you're not in control of, like typical, obviously, when you're hunting an animal. But there's other things around that, you know, like I had a gunshot happen at the same time that I was potentially on this, you know, to harvest an animal. And yeah. for some reason, that just made me rush through my head. I was like, well, I've got to do it now because this thing is going to run off. Yeah. That thing was going to stand there for another 10 hours. That gunshot was six miles away. Yeah. But it was what went through my head. Probably, you know, to be honest with you, with the pressures of, of a big hunt. Um, so trying to be able to control those emotions and that and, and settle that reaction 
Um, I think it's probably one of the biggest things that I'd take away and, and probably sounds like you're very similar. You know, in slowing down, going through the processes, even when it just comes to that shot process, like even just getting that right. Um, because I think a lot of the times people get everything right to the shot and then they get yeah. to that point and just that one little thing they've done 110 times, it's just that one little motion, you know, that one little sequence, they just forget that one part and, and it's all over. Yeah, yeah, exactly right, mate. And, um, you know, it, it doesn't matter what's happening around you. Um, give it the time that it deserves. Um, point in case for me, I spent three hours in a bed of stinging nettles waiting. You've um, probably seen the chocolate fellow buck on my Instagram. Yeah, that thing's ridiculous. Right. I, I laid down in stinging nettles waiting for that thing for three hours. And uh, I thought, he's been around here, he's been around this trail so many times, and there was some dead ground. And I was relatively new to the bow hunting world. There's some dead ground, and the one thing that I didn't do was take the time to range everything around me. We've all done that one. Yeah. And... He has walked around, he's followed this doe around right parallel to me across this very steep gully. And I'm laying down, I've got an arrow on the string on my old Matthews Outback. And uh, he's walked around and his head's gone behind some dogwood. And I thought, oh, you're toast. <laughs> and I've come to full draw sitting down and he's walked out and I've gone, oh, how far is that? And I've gone, oh, and I've looked down to my left and I've seen the dead ground. I've gone, oh, geez, that's that's dirty. And I've released, hit the release aid, and he didn't even duck the arrow, mate, because that thing was dead silent. It's uh, just sailed straight over his back. Uh, and um, he's just taken off. And I just couldn't believe it. My body was on fire from the stinging nettle. And I've pulled out my range phone and I've clicked it on the thing he was 13 yards oh and just inexperience in rushing i just muffed it yeah you know? and uh that that will stick with me forever that mm. now when i see a, a stag coming in and i know that i want to have a crack at him i range at least six things around me mm. so i um and i'm getting a lot better with oh look craig i, I won't make I won't bullshit. I'm not the best archer in the world. But when it comes to crunch time, I seem to be able to get it right something, most of the time. Something, something comes together. Yes. And, <laughs> you know, um, I, I think, to me, I owe it to the animal. Again, like studying them and getting to know them, I owe it to them to be the best shot that I can be. But I, I'm not one of these guys with five kids. I'm not one of these guys that's got hours every weekend to spend practicing on the boat. Yeah, sure. It, you know, I've got hours to spend with my boys practicing with their boat. But that's for me, myself, <laughs> yeah, it just, I just, I need, you need to be selfless, you know what I mean? So Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, every chance that I get to practice with my bow is, is just like golden to me. <laughs> I yeah, just like, yeah. oh my God, this is so good. But, um, it's learning, being patient, doing everything that you need to do, 
painting that picture, making sure that you are ready to take the life of that animal. And that means preparation for the shot that you're about to take. And that's something that I didn't do. And that's something that you need to consider in your head when you're about to do that. So yeah, it's just one of those things. And it, it all comes down to me to being patient and um, doing going through that sequence of what you need to do in your head. Definitely. Like you said, yeah. Well, I mean, people must be getting absolutely crazy because I keep jumping around my story of Alaska. So um, I'm still not going to tell it. So I do apologise because it's it's one that I, it's not that I don't want to tell the story. It's it's one that it's hard for me to tell the story. Yeah. Um, because in all honesty, I wouldn't change what I did, um, which is a question that was asked by one you know, that I hold, uh, that I look up to someone who was with me. Um, you know, he, he asked me, you know, would you do the same thing again or would you change anything? I said, no, nah, that's, that's what's so bad. I wouldn't, you know, when you, when you think you did something so perfectly and it doesn't turn out, it's really hard to get your head around. Yeah. Um, triple that into, you know, being on the other side of the world and, in, you know, so-called a hunt that you may not ever do again. It's hard, it's hard to swallow. Um, I'm lucky enough that I, I probably will get to experience that, but whether I experience that situation so perfectly yeah. um, is probably going to be another story. Like that, whether that happens, I think the next one's going to be brutally tough. I hope it's successful, but I don't think it's going to come that easy. Um, yeah. I'm not saying the physicality was easy, but the scenario was the easier one. Um, so, you know, I, you know, I haven't told the story. I will one day, but, you know, to looking forward to that. Yeah, it's one of them ones where I sort of get. I'm still going through my head with it, and and it's it's a bit like you're saying. You know, you 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 miss something at 13 yards when it was 30. Um, it'll stick in your head, and and reason like these are things that I've. I'm just going to continually remember every time that I'm going to stand in front of an animal. Now, uh, I'm going to go through that process and make sure that I've got everything right. Things happen. Don't get me wrong. It's hunting. But yeah. I, I, I will swear to myself and everybody else that I, I won't make that mistake again. And it was one that, you know, we all, we all thought it was done and dusted. Like it was all, it was all sweet until you know, three seconds later. But, um, you know, shot placement was wrong. So, but it was, yeah, it's just one of those ones where it's very hard for me to put into words. And when I find those words, I'll, I'll do it. But. Um, where I'm going with this is that everyone will find uh, something that's happened. May it may not happen for a while until you know you just experience bigger hunts in the next couple of years as well. And um, that this is where having those mistakes that you've done, taking them with you on the bigger stuff is going to pay dividends. If you ask me, um, it's, yeah. it's, it's, we we spoke about it before we started. You know, learning you know hindsight's a massive thing, but if we can learn that. Um, you know, I called you that before, the master. It's the mistakes that you make become, makes you the master. The person that says know, know everything is not the master. Yeah. Yeah, I agree, mate. Yeah. It's, um, I learn every time I'm in the bush. And as, as, much as, as much experiences that I've had with the Reds... You're still searching for more. I'm still searching for more. Mm. And, and it never stops. It, it just never stops. And, um, you know, this last year, I don't know if you know young Maddie Mason. I think I do. Uh, 
I think I've seen. Yeah. I think you're tagging as your stuff, but yeah, yeah. So I've pulled him on as a grasshopper because he's just a, a sponge. He wants to learn. He's a very respectful young bloke, and um, you know, he said, you know, I just want to get out in the bush and experience it. Yeah. Well, that was that was key for me to hear him say that. I don't want to shoot a stag. I just want to experience it. Sure. Um. And I was telling him about a, a stag that uh, I would love to see him take. Who's he's just a monster animal, um, albeit he's only got four points aside. But um, just a giant, he, heavy four point. Yeah, he's he's as thick as a as a stubby bottle in the yeah. antlers, um, and he's got oh, they'd have to be fourteen inch brows and bays and wow. massive trays. And he's just he's a trophy in his own right, especially to me. And he holds a special, a little special spot in my heart. He's he's completely black, yeah. and uh, he's got a grey face. He's um, old. Yeah, he's old and he's smart. And he's a stag that I have put six years into, and um, he is that smart that I can get to within bow range of him, and he outsmarts me every time. Um, this this last season. Um, I got in real close to him and um, he just disappeared. And I thought, where did he go? Yeah. Like, nothing disappears like that. Um, and I didn't hear any movement through the scrub. I didn't see anything. And I thought, oh, he's done it again. And I just started moving up the hill. And as I, um, as I got up the hill, I've turned around and looked back to where I came from and I thought I still can't believe that he's moved out of there without me hearing him <laughs> and um, he stood up in the thick stuff he uh, laid down when I got close to him smart he actually he actually laid down and um, I just said to Matt I said I would really really love for you to take that critter <laughs> um, <laughs> I said as much uh, history as I've got with him, um, it would mean the world to me to be able to outsmart him with the pair of us because I hunt solo a lot, yeah. right? like a hell of a lot up here. All my hunting buddies are down Sydney. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, nice um, a quick trip up. Yeah. And, yeah, he's um, th- this critter, look, he's still teaching me. Like, never think you know everything about an animal. Um, for him to actually go, all right, there he is. I'm going to lie down right here and he won't know shit. It's pretty clever. Oh. So, yeah, he's just he's just gone up another notch in my books, Yeah. That, that animal. But, yeah, like you said, you just never stop learning. And the day that you think that you know everything is the day that you shouldn't be hunting to me. I think so. I mean, yeah. I think there is certain species, you know, keep to in Australia. You know, the red deer is like that. They're just they're majestic. They're they're somewhat unknown. You know, we spoke about where do they go. We don't really know. Yeah. Um, you know, they you're talking about calling. You know, one comes charge and wants to run over you. The next minute, runs the other way. And you're like, I did the yeah. exactly same thing, but the last one in the same scenario. Um, yeah. We spoke about Samba deer before we got going. Um, 
I mean, they're, they're nearly my new, well, they are my new addiction. You know, I've only been down there twice on them, but there's a something about them. Um, I think it's the the ghostly kind of habits, you know what I mean? They're, they're there and then you'll never see that deer again. Um, yeah. You know, these guys with hundreds and hundreds of uh, trail cam pictures, do they ever see that deer in real life? No. <laughs> Not a lot of the time. Um, you know, just things like that. And then, you, then you've got the, the highs of, you know, Jake, Jake Gasparowski going down there and shooting a giant, you know, and just you got that high and then you've got these guys that just go for so long, you know, chasing this particular animal. And, and I don't know how they do it, like, because they're a ghost in itself, but let alone try and pick one out to try and chase yeah. and then succeed, you know, if, if they do. And, and how that must feel, I think that's the addiction that I, I sort of, that's where I'm getting to. I think I want to, I want to feel that, you know, that, that pursuit, um, yeah. you know, keep, consistent failure leading to such a high, um, you know, the failure is hard to take. Don't get me wrong. Like it's not easy, but I think it's that learning curve you know, when you don't succeed, it's like, why didn't I? Like, what happened this weekend? What was the weather doing? What was that activity? Where were they? You know, or, or you, you had an opportunity and you buffed it, or whatever it may be. But um, I think it, it keeps it alive. There's no doubt about that. And you throw all the different species in, <laughs> you kind of do your head in a little bit. But Yeah, yeah. I'm, I am super keen to, uh, to branch out to other species. Like, yeah. I've got a very nice fallow buck on the wall with the bow. Um, I've got a double seven on the wall that I shot with my dad um, back when I was uh, 17, before school. I shot him, um, and that was with the rifle, of yeah. course. Um, and I've got a very, very big chittle on the wall, and that was the rifle. But, um, you know, the heads that I have on the wall that are... Uh, that are taken with the bow as much as the red that, that I shot with dad means to me. Um, the, the, the bow, the, the bow hunted animals that I have had the, the privilege to take, uh, they just outweigh everything else, any yeah. other experience that I've had. And, um, like I said before, like each to their own, if you want to hunt with a rifle, that's cool. Oh, um, Whatever, whatever adventure that takes you on, the weapon's only the bit that starts the adventure, if you ask me. That's that's, that's the way I look at it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I spoke to her. I was chatting back and forth on, on Instagram last night, in, uh, and I'm hoping I can get this gentleman on the podcast because he's he's a guy that, you know, I, I never knew anything about, and some of the stuff he has taken in Australia and overseas is unbelievable. Um, he shot me a few photos of his trophy room, and, Oh, I can't even imagine getting there. And he's not an old gentleman by any means, um, you know. It uh, and and to be honest with you, it, it doesn't matter what weapon he uses. I I think it's I think it's rifle uh, for some of it, but um, oh, just unbelievable some of the stories he tells. Yeah, yeah. I, I really hope he can get on, we can we can line something up. So because yeah. that's that's what to me that's what creates yeah whatever that weapon is to get out whether it's bow rifle whatever, but. And then all the different species, you know, like you said, you said, you know, you're getting out there and chittle and then you've got your fallow and, you know, who knows if you start getting an addiction on the sand, but you're probably going to have a lot of trouble. But, um, you know, if it's anything close to your red deer addiction, but I, uh, I feel sorry for your wife, but 
yeah. We haven't even talked about going up north of the Cape yet. Jeez, yeah, man. well, mate. Um, yeah, you can thank Summers for that. Yeah. Uh, I went up there in, in 2012 with him and, uh, mate, you know, I never thought I would enjoy hunting hogs, but uh, Summers just makes it a blast. He's just, <laughs> he's he's just so nice. Yeah, mate, he's just amazing. And, you know, the technical side of, of bow hunting for me, look, I'm a relative virgin. Like, I do not know how to set up a bow. Yep. Absolutely not. Um, I just send it to Summers. <laughs> he, he just gets it done for me, and they always they always hum and perform. And um, you know what he's what he's passed on to to me in the short amount of time that I've hunted hogs with him has been nothing short of of great. Um, you know, he's just he's just easy to learn from. Yeah, you know what I mean. He he explains things like I tried to teach my wife how to shoot a bow. I couldn't. Yeah, he did it in five minutes. Yeah, you know whether, whether it's just because she's married to me and she doesn't have to listen to me or not. <laughs> you know, uh, we'll never know. But um, he did it in five minutes yeah. flat. Yeah. Like he's just uh, a knowledgeable uh, gentleman and a warrior. He's yeah. just he's just a good dude. Yeah. yeah. Good words, man. Good words. Well, mate, uh, talking about good words, mate, I can't thank you enough for your info tonight. Um, you know, it's, I guess it's a bit of a closed book sometimes, the old red deer hunting and deer hunting in general. You know, sometimes people don't want to share information, but I can't thank you enough for, uh, you know, for jumping on. I know it was <laughs> a little bit nerve-wracking for you to when I first hit you up, mate. You, you weren't sure, but um, yeah. you've nailed yeah. it by then. I mean, it's pretty easy when you can talk about something you, you love so much. So, mate, thank you. Yeah, no, my pleasure, mate. And uh, thanks for having me. And, uh, yeah, let's uh, let's see what this next year brings, yeah? Bloody oath, mate. And uh, we're going to have to make a, a, a hunting camp of it soon. So um, we'll, uh, we'll have to line something up and maybe have summer's involved or something like that. But we'll, uh, we'll make something work, mate. And... Uh, I look forward to getting your application form for the uh, for the elk hunts, mate. So, oh yeah, I, mate. I'm I'm uh, like a little kid in the lolly shop. I just got to, <laughs> I just got to uh, take the time to get that filled out and put in, so I can uh, get yeah, some mate. points up, buddy. Just get your basic stuff to me, mate. I'll sort the rest out for you. So, but uh, mate, thanks so much again. And uh, to anybody that uh, is obviously listening to this, I know we're going to be a little bit early. This will come out. Uh, it's probably going to be close to around New Year's when you guys are hearing this. So. Uh, the lucky tar hunt winner will be of will be of drawn. Um, looking forward to who that going to be. It might even be you, mate. You might be hunting tar, yeah. Jeez. Oh yeah, mate. I'd love that. I love so, New Zealand. Oh, it's yeah. just unreal. It's unreal. Yeah, the wife, the wife and I got married over there at Lake Tekapo, which isn't far. Oh like, yeah, that's all tar country. Yeah, we got married in the chapel of the Good Shepherd over there. So oh, unreal uh, on the lake. So, so uh, uh, yeah. No, mate, I, uh, I would have made, uh, as I said, it's a little bit hard when we're talking about uh, pre and past tense, but uh, some would have had a pretty good Christmas by the time you hear this. But um, And uh, I suppose on this one, we're probably going to have a pretty new giveaway very shortly too. Hey. So it's plenty going on, mate, plenty going on. But uh, thanks again, mate, and uh, yeah, enjoy the scouting season, mate. I, um, sounds like you've got a... Bit of a uh, bit of work to do on the new block, mate. So hopefully something comes out of that that uh, you haven't seen before. 
yeah, mate, I'm I'm looking forward to it and uh, looking forward to spending time in the paddock with young Maddie and uh, teaching him the ropes. But uh, thanks for having me, mate. And uh, if anybody's got any questions leading up to the rut, just hit me up on Insta. Um, I don't spend much time on Facebook, but a fair bit on Insta. So. Interesting. Well, what's your handle, mate? Uh, Kev underscore Shelf. Um, Hirsch Outdoors. S-L-C, what is it? S-C-H-I-L-F? S-C-H-I-L-F. Yep. All right. I'll put a link in the show notes anyway, mate. So, all right, dude. It's uh, it's a bit night here down near South Wales, you bloody Queenlanders. Yeah. Always freaking behind. Yeah, I know. <laughs> good on you, man. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Craig. Have a good one, mate. You too, mate. Bye now. See ya. Bye. Well, guys, thanks for listening to the episode with Kev. Um, I hope you got out as much out of it as what as I did. Um, certainly a wealth of knowledge there. Uh, as always, I'd like to thank Hoyt Bowhunting and Exo Mountain Gear for their support in 2018 and uh, their con- continued support. Um, going into 29 as well some pretty exciting stuff come up uh well will be coming up i should say we've got um an exo mountain gear pack uh, my own personal pack i will be giving that away very shortly uh, that will be on instagram so keep an eye out there if you do not have instagram i'm sure your son daughter grandchild or someone does wife whatever it may be so uh keep an eye out for that that'll be out in the next few days so um and then following that, uh, we'll have another giveaway as well. So once again, thank you to Hoyt Bow Hunting and XO Mountain Gear and all the best for your practice for the upcoming season. Uh, keep at it. If you've got any questions, you know where I am. Huntingcampdownunder at gmail.com or shoot me a message on Instagram at huntingcampdownunder. Uh, any questions, be feel free to, uh, to shoot them through. More than happy to help. And if I can't find the answer... I'll find someone that does. So thanks again, guys, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks. All the best.